Welcome to Next to Normal. We're here because relationships are important. We're here because men and women see things differently. They think so differently. We're here because we're hoping to get the answer to relational stuff that confounds us. So what's the state of your unions? What questions do you bring to the relationship table? Can anybody figure out what normal looks like or is it just okay to end up next to normal a few months ago the words describing tiger woods were words like a phenom the most focused and passionate golfer of his era the athlete everyone knew would be there at the end of the day to make the dramatic final putt and he would do this he would do this he would go He'd get all excited. He'd make that putt. His records were stunning. His endorsements were legendary and lucrative to the ninth power, as in $900 million. But in the end, he turned out to be just a little less than next to normal. In a Sports Illustrated article, Life Without Tiger, on December 21st, I read these interesting words. Over the last 13 years, Woods has remade golf in his own iconic image. Along the way, peddling himself as a keeper of the game's values, honor, integrity, playing by the rules, that kind of blather. Woods will eventually return to the competition, but when he does, golf and its best player will have to be sold in an entirely different way. And it's that last sentence that just grabs at my heart and my heart just kind of hurts a little bit. We'll have to be sold in an entirely different way because that's the way the world wants us to take life. Let's, let's position it this way. Let's market it this way. Let's repackage it this way. And maybe we could sell this a little bit more. Maybe we could sell this a little bit farther down the road. Instead of, let's look at the reality of life. Let's look at what is really important in life. Let's look at our hearts and see what is really there. On the other side of the cultural universe lives Taylor Swift of 15 fame. Because when you're 15, because when you're 15 and somebody tells you they love you, you're going to believe them. And when you're 15, feeling like there's nothing to figure out, well, count to 10, take it in. This is life before you know who you're going to be. I didn't know who I was supposed to be at 15. She writes songs that get to the heart of life if you're between 12 and 17, which is right where I live all the time, right here. (laughs) 
a Rolling Stone feature on her, put it in these words. On a bright Sunday afternoon in Los Angeles, Taylor Swift is on good behavior as usual. She has never changed her hair color, won't engage in any remotely dangerous type of physical activity, and bites her nails. At 19 years old, she says she has never had a cigarette. She says she has never had a drop of alcohol. I always want to be responsible for the things I say and do. When you lose someone's trust, it's lost. And there are a lot of people out there who are counting on me right now. She's selling a gazillion albums by just being honest and real and down to earth and telling simple, truthful stories about life in the fast lane of adolescence. And we're watching her every move to see if she is next to normal or a little less than next to normal. You know why life will never be the same? Life will never be the same because there's no off switch anymore. We are on all the time. It's a 24-7 kind of life. It wasn't like this just not too long ago, and it certainly wasn't like this 100 years ago. It was a lot easier to find a time and a place to sit down and think. It was a lot easier to find a place to just evaluate your life and say, what are the important questions I need to deal with? What is really going on with me right now? But not anymore. It just goes and goes and goes. You're always on. People are always watching. If you don't look out, you'll end up on YouTube for some crazy thing. So I'm always, when I'm at 7-Eleven or somewhere, I'm always watching. Am I going to be on YouTube eating my donut in front of 7-Eleven? And, and, and sooner or later, I know it'll be there. Probably because I said it, it'll be there next week. Life doesn't have an off, switch, an off switch anymore. And that creates problems because without an off switch, you don't ever really settle down. You don't ever really take the time to take a look at your life, whether you're 15 or whether you're 50 or whether you're 75. You don't take the time, and you need to take the time. That's why doing this is so important. That's why carving out this very moment is so important because it gives us that time, that moment where we go off, life goes off for just at least an hour, an hour and 10 minutes. And I think about things that are bigger than me. And I think about questions that are more important than my life itself. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The thing that is most important about life itself. Two very different personalities in the public eye remind us of the different stages of our lives and the big questions that must be engaged at each stage. Let me tell you what the questions are at all the different stages of our lives. Stage one is childhood. Big questions in childhood. You would think that it, it's, it shouldn't be that hard. Big, huge questions in childhood. Who can I trust? Who should I follow? Where am I safe? What are the rules? And this is what I was trying to figure out as I sat there that day. Who can I trust? Who should I follow? Where am I safe? What are the rules? As I sat there waiting for them to snap that picture in my beautiful fringe jacket, in my beautiful white little shoes, just trying to figure it all out. You know, what am I doing here? Who put me here? What's this all about? You know, it's the same it's the same for my grandchildren today. You know, Sophia's trying to, to figure out, 
are the Yankees going to do it again this year? And I say, yes, Sophia, they're going to do it again this year. Olivia's going, I'm on the team. I'm rooting for the team that you're rooting for, Grandpa. And together, they are a formidable duo. But they're just trying to figure out, who can I trust? Who should I follow? Where am I safe? What are the rules? Stage two, adolescence. Who am I physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually? Who am I? Who are my real friends? What abilities do I have? What abilities do I not have? This is so important. It's such a big part of our lives. It's really such a, a brief time in our lives, but when we're in it, we don't think it's such a brief time. It seems long. It seems too long. And we do things like we take SAT so we can figure out what abilities do I have and what abilities don't I have. And we try to make teams and we find out we can make this team, but we didn't make that team. Who am I physically? What are all these emotions that go up and down at 15? And spiritually, is there a God who is there to really interact with me and care about my life? It's a very, can be a very profound time spiritually during adolescence. Stage three, young adult. What is commitment? Do I want commitment? Why is life beginning to be about a different kind of performance? You know, the performance that we had in, in school is you write papers, you take tests, you get a grade, it's very clear, it kind of jumps out at you right there. This is your performance, this is what you did. All of a sudden, life is about a whole different kind of performance. You're not writing very many papers anymore. You're not seeing a lot of grades at the end of the week. You're showing up in meetings and you have to really say something that makes sense. You have to really do your job. You have to finish your work. You have to have some kind of a plan of action. You have to put forth goals and achieve goals. And then somebody's sitting down with you and, and evaluating whether or not you achieve those goals. And so pretty soon you start to wonder, is there any other way to make money than work? Is there any other way to do that? And the answer is no. You have to work. You have to pay your rent. You have to do things that are hard, harder than you ever had to do in school. Hopefully school prepared you for the reality of the workaday world. And then you do this. You ask this question sooner or later, between 25 and 30. What do I do when I don't like my job? Because you went to school and you took on this job and then all of a sudden you're getting up and you're going to work and there's a knot in your stomach and you don't like it. You don't like the people that you work with. You don't like what you're doing. What do you do then? How do you shift gears? Stage four, adult. How can I find something that really engages all of my skills and passions? Who am I committed to and why am I committed? How am I doing with my commitments? What are my core values? What is it at the, at the end of the day that I really stand for, that I believe in? What Am I building my life on? Why is life starting to seem so long, yet it goes so fast? Is there something I missed? Am I missing something? That's a stage of life that Tiger Woods is in. And he found that thing that engaged all of his skills and passions, but he kind of got discombobulated in the, in the commitment arena. He's trying to figure out what really are the core values of his life. He's got some tough questions 
that he has to face up to and answer. It's not just Tiger Woods. It's every single person that hits this stage of life. Stage five, midlife adult. What happened to my life? Or where did my life go? Didn't I just get out of school yesterday? Do people need me or what I provide? Have I done enough? Have I reached my potential? Does anybody care? Is it time for me yet? Am I still missing something? Stage six, older adult. Have I lived my life with integrity? Are there people I love and people who love me just for who I am? Did I find relational depth emotionally and spiritually? Was I faithful to my core values and commitments? What legacy am I leaving for my family, friends, church? Am I ready to meet God? Am I ready to see God face to face? What will I say? What will God say to me? Do I have any regrets? As I look back over all the decades now, having navigated all the questions, do I have any regrets? And as I look at stage six, that time of life that I'm getting ready to, to launch into. I start to think about stage one childhood, and it's almost like you can draw a line between the two. At the end of your life, you're really saying some of the things and asking some of the questions that you negotiated at the early stages of your life. Who can I trust? Who should I follow? Where am I safe? What are the rules? You know, there's a key to living a next-to-normal life. And that key is so evident as I read the Bible. And so I'd like to take you to a very significant passage in the Old Testament. Let me take you to the book of 1 Kings. It's about a man named Solomon and a question that God asked him. 1 Kings 3, verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Whatever you want, Solomon. Whatever you want, just ask for it. What if God asked you that question? Whatever you want, just ask. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued in this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. He was about 20 years old at this point in his life. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. When asked the question by God, Solomon, ask for whatever you want. Ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. Solomon asks for wisdom. 
He asks for a heart that is able to sort out the many different layers of what is right and what is wrong. He asks for wisdom to govern the people. The Lord was pleased that Solomon has asked for this, that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He gets it all. This is like you got door number one and door number two and door number three, and it didn't matter if one of them was bogus because you got it all. You got everything. The thing that you asked for, which was in humility, asking for the wisdom a leader needs to make decisions and to live a right kind of life and to govern the right way with all these people that you're responsible for. And then you got a long life, and then you got riches, and then you got honor. This is just overwhelming. It's the overwhelming blessing of God. And Solomon realizes that. So the first response that he brings as he returns to Jerusalem, says he stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. So his first focus is on God. His first focus, always the right focus, say thank you to God for your life and everything that's in your life and the blessings that God gives to you. And then celebrate that. Celebrate that with your friends. Get around a table. Get some food. Have some fun. Laugh. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment of God's blessing because that's so much on God's heart too that you would enjoy with your friends the life that he has given you. In 1 Kings 4, it's summarized this way. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. He is more than famous. He is the Tiger Woods and the Taylor Swift and all the famous people of our day all rolled up in his time into one person. He is Warren Buffett. He is Bill Gates. He is everything that embodies what does it seem to take to really make life work and everybody wants to show up at his front door to find out. How does life work, Solomon? Can you help me? And so he puts together this book in the Old Testament 
It's a book that I like to read a lot, and I recommend it to you highly. Put it on your reading list for 2010. It's a book simply called Proverbs. And in Proverbs, he unloads all this wisdom that God has put in his heart so that you can have it, so that you can learn it and live it. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Steadfast love and faithfulness are the words that God uses to describe himself before Moses in Exodus 34. The way God describes himself is what he wants for you. He wants you to be steadfast in love. He wants you to learn about faithfulness, bringing faith and life together all the time. Bind that around your neck. Write that on your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And I can't tell you the number of times in my life where I came to a fork in the road. I came to a place where I couldn't see any further down the road. And I said, oh God, this has to be your choice. Oh, this has to be your decision. I don't know enough to make this decision. I can't see far enough to, to do the next step that you want me to take in my life to take the next step. I don't know. And in trusting him, he's always made that next step straight and true. And he's put me in the right direction. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. That word body there in Hebrew, literally translated, it's kind of, it's kind of cute, really. It's belly button. This will bring health to your belly button. Who says you can't read the Bible and learn something new every day? This will bring health to your belly button and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the, Lord's, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And this is a part of wisdom that sometimes we don't like and we don't want. We don't like God to say no. We don't like God to say, you're going to learn something and I'm going to make sure you learn this and you're going to learn it through failure or you're going to learn it through heartache. You're going to learn it through, through stress and striving after the wrong things so that I can show you what the right things are. But wisdom that comes through discipline is a stabilizing kind of wisdom that sets your feet upon a rock and lets you know how to build a real life that really works. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Proverbs 4 puts it this way. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. 
though it cost all you have, get understanding. If you have to sell everything you have to get wisdom, sell it all. Get wisdom because you will get it all back. You will get it back in, in, in more than you could ever imagine. In relationships that are real. In business that is good. In ministry that makes a difference and that changes people's lives. Though it cost all you have. Get understanding. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Always know what's going on in your heart. Take the time to turn the switch off. Take a few moments and ask yourself the hard questions that might just save your life. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. The greatest gift, the greatest gift of all is the gift of wisdom. And so on this first Sunday of a new year, let me explain to you what next to normal wisdom is and looks like. Next to normal means admitting you don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I am constantly in pursuit of the one who has those answers, but I know enough to know I don't have all the answers. Next to normal means you're ready to stop making excuses and start living commitments. Excuses are cheap. Commitments are arduous. To commit to a commitment is one of the hardest things you can do in life. Next to normal means you'll choose God's way instead of demanding your way. Next to normal means embracing humility, forgiveness, and grace, even when it hurts, and it will hurt. Next to normal means giving up unrealistic expectations of relationships and hunkering down to common, everyday blessings that were always right in front of you all the time. They were always right there. Next to normal means taking the responsibility to grow your own heart, mind, and soul, even when nobody else seems to care. Next to normal means managing life's broken relationships with spiritual integrity one season or sometimes one day at a time. Next to normal means trusting God relationally, even when it gets so dark, even when it feels that it's just all coming in all around you, it's coming down all around you, because you know he will ultimately bring light to your heart. You are trusting the God of wisdom to bring the light of wisdom to your heart on the other side of what seems so dark. Let me tell you what I learned from a next-to-normal 86-year-old woman in the hospital yesterday afternoon. I went to see this lovely woman, a good friend, and we sat and we chatted for a while, the way you chat with somebody when they're in the hospital and, you know, the tubes are there and the monitors are there and, and the TV's on and a basketball game is going on. It's overtime, but it really didn't matter. We were just there for each other. And then suddenly I had this, this realization, this was a moment. God was giving me this moment 
and I was supposed to learn something. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm talking about stages of life, and, and here she is, and she's, she's lived into her ninth decade of life, and she probably has great wisdom for me. And so I asked her the question. I said, what are the questions you have about life at this stage of your life? She was quiet for a moment. Then she said, well, most of the time my question is, where did I leave my shoes? I was so glad for her honesty. And that honesty built a platform for what she said next. She paused. And she looked off into the distance and she said, I have no regrets. I thought, what, a, what an amazing thing to say in your ninth decade of life. I have no regrets. So I asked her why she had no regrets. And she said, basically two things. First, she told me about her parents. She said her parents had taught her to trust the Lord each day, not in a crazy kind of way. And I just loved it when she said, not in a crazy kind of way, because I knew then what her parents were doing. It wasn't about religious performance. It wasn't about go to this church service or, or do this thing or, or get another pin in Sunday school or read your Bible. Make sure you get that done. Have your quiet time. While all those things might be a part of building a relationship with God, they can also create a place where a relationship with God becomes elusive. Because if you don't know God personally in the mixed-up, discombobulated way that we live lives every single moment of every single day, you'll never know him really in a personal way. And so her parents had so lovingly given her this gift of trusting God each day, not in a crazy kind of way. In other words, God's going to make sense in your life every single day. You just keep looking for that. It's a beautiful thing to teach a child. It's a wonderful thing for an adult to learn. And then she added that as she looked back on her life, it was all the relationships she had where she had passed on her experience and wisdom that she still remembered in her heart. And she talked about that and how that happened and how in 50 years of ministry she had met so many people and, and passed on so much of what God had taught her into their lives. And, and I could see as she looked off into the distance, I could see that she was seeing faces and she was remembering names. No regrets. I have no regrets, she said, because of two things. She loved God with all her heart as the normal response to each day. She loved people and gave herself away to them as much as was humanly possible. And, and it was funny. She said, well, you know, there was this one woman who was rude to me once, and I, I feel like maybe I should have been nicer to her. You know, I haven't, haven't been perfect. But she loved people and gave herself away in grace as much as she could every day. She had discovered the secret of next to normal wisdom. It's being God's light in a world that closes in around you. It's knowing that a next to normal life is a normal reflection 
of his steadfast love and faithfulness that he wants to build into you. It's being a light in the dark at each stage of your life, whether you're 15 or 50 or 75. It's being that light. It's just being a light in the dark. That's next to normal wisdom. Because about the only hope we have is that we'll be next to normal. Next to normal means trusting God relationally. Even when you don't understand what's going on in your life. Because you know in that trust, he will bring light. He will bring wisdom to your heart so that you can live a no regrets life. In the next to normal show on Broadway, there's a couple who really struggles with with their life. And, And there are regrets and there are heartaches And yet at the end of the story of their lives, they sing this song. Take my hand and let me take your heart. Keep it far from what keeps us apart. Let us start with a light in the dark. Take this chance and we'll make a new start. There's a light, a light in the dark. And some of us here today We need some light. We need some light in the dark places, in the relational stuff that's not working in our lives. We need some light in our families. We need some light where we go to work every day. We need some light in our own hearts and minds to find a place of hope, to find a place once again where steadfast love and faithfulness will prevail. And so my hope for you My hope for me is as we spend the next six weeks together, we'll find all of that and more by being next to normal. Dear Heavenly Father, we are hopeful and expectant about what you will bring us, about the wisdom that you will bring us in the first six weeks of this new year. May you guide us and bless us in all these things. May we know you deeply and personally in a real way that just constantly brings faith into the arenas of our daily lives. Oh, Heavenly Father, take us now into the light of your wisdom. That is what we ask for. In Jesus' name. in the dry one single sign that our house is alive our house our own so why do I live here alone and tell me why I wait through the night why do I leave on the light you This house was a home long ago. Take this chance, cause it may be our last to be free. And let go of the past and to try 
to be husband and wife and let love never die and to just live our lives take my hand and let me take your heart keep it far from what keeps us apart let us start with Somewhere far from what keeps us apart. And I swear that somewhere in the night there's a light. 